If you're here for the first time, then I just want to say, again, a special welcome to you. It's amazing that you could be with us. It's a real privilege that you would choose to be with us on a Sunday morning. <laughs> uh, it means a huge amount to us. Uh, thank you for coming, and we hope that you are having a great morning and, and meeting with God. Um, my main point this morning is that God loves you. Um, it's going to come to us in, in different ways, but that is my main point. So I just, in case you miss it in anything that I'm about to say, I want to just say it as clearly as I possibly can. He is flamboyantly in love with you and with this world. And there is no greater revelation that you can have in your life as to how much the Father loves you and wants you. And I feel like this is all I want to do with my life right now, <laughs> is tell you and tell others how much the Father loves you and that that love is, is more than, it is a doctrine, it's a glorious, wonderful doctrine that you can stand upon. It's a rock it's a fortress that you can run into in times of trouble when you don't feel it. But listen, he wants you to feel it. <laughs> he wants it to be an experience in your life, that he, an ongoing experience in your life where you know that you know that you know that you know that you are beloved by the Father in heaven. I want to pray that, that, that we would be that people who know that love and who, out of knowing that love, overflow. Mission is supposed to be an overflow. And, and we, cannot, we can't overflow unless we're filled, first of all. And He wants you to know that, that He loves you and He thinks you're great. And that's my main point. <laughs> But you know what, we've got a bit longer than that, so why don't we turn to, why don't we turn to 1 Samuel 16, because that's where we're going to be this morning. It's an amazing song that here is love vast as the ocean. Think about that. Think about the last time you were at the ocean. Think about staring out to the horizon and this thing just going on and on and on and on. You know, paddling in the ocean is great fun when you're not in the west of Scotland. When you're <laughs> paddling in the Indian Ocean is great fun. <laughs> Swimming in it is a lot of fun. Listen, you can have adventures on an ocean. An ocean is dangerous. You can lose your life in the ocean. You can lose your life in the ocean. It's an adventure. God's love, vast as the ocean, goes on and on and on and on. Man, it feels like a lot's changing. Maybe it's just it's changing in me, but it feels like a lot's changing right now. And uh, I'm trying to find words and uh, stories from the Bible to go around um, these changes that I'm feeling and noticing. Um, and so I'm, I'm, 
kind of looking for these, um, I guess, transition points that you find all the way through the Bible where, where God breaks in and does a new thing. And I guess God is always doing new things. It's just that we've not always, we're not always aware of these new things. We're a bit slow to get it sometimes. But uh, it does really feel like God's doing a new thing in me, in this church, maybe even in the nation. And uh, we've just got to try and have our eyes open and our ears open um, to figure out what's going on. And, and this, is, this is one of the great transition points in, in, in the Bible where David is anointed. Um, and uh, it's an amazing, it's an amazing bit of the Bible. I love it. I, I love this man, David. Um, he's just a total hero uh, of mine uh, and for what he stands for and what he did in his life. Um, but yeah, this is, this is a key moment and uh, I think there are things that we can learn from it. So why don't we read this together? I'm going to read to verse 13. Um, okay, the Lord said to Samuel, Samuel the big prophet in Israel at the time. How long will you grieve over Saul? Saul is the, is the king who is currently on the throne. Samuel anointed him. There was great hope and expectation that he would be a great man after God's heart. Uh, in fact, it didn't turn out that way. And Samuel is grieving. Um, and you can understand why uh, over the way Saul is. But God says to him, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. Come on, you're a prophet, man. Get that oil in your horn and get on with it. Remember who you are. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice. And I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him who I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And when they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on, his, on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and, said, and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And then Jesse made Shammah passed by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. 
And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy. What a great word. He was ruddy. (laughs) And had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took his horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose and went to Ramah. Let's pray together. And do you know how sometimes when the preacher prays, everybody just kind of takes a moment to gather the thoughts, but doesn't really pray? I'm kind of asking that we wouldn't do that this morning, that we'd really open our hearts um, and engage with God. We really need Him. I, we really need Him. <laughs> we need the Spirit among us. Um, otherwise, this is just going to be words. Um, I'm hoping that God's going to change some lives this morning, and that will only happen if He is very much in the room. So can we open our hearts? Come, Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, we love you. We love you, Lord, and we need you. I need you, Jesus. I need you, Father. God, I can't do this without you. I don't want to try. I need you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, won't you come upon us? Won't you move in our midst? Won't you take these words, Lord, and use them to transform people's lives, to bring them hope and encouragement, to bring them out, Lord, into freedom, into life, into all that you have for them. Holy Spirit, come. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Just invite him. Just say, come, Holy Spirit. Here I am. Speak to me. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Lord. You know, at the start of this this story... um, God's people are living in fear, and God's prophet is mourning over a king that he had anointed in obedience to what he heard God say, and a king that had started well, but had end up, ended up leading the people away from God because of his own insecurities. That's a familiar story for God's people, sadly, and the amazing thing is that David comes along next, and he becomes Israel's greatest king. He is the man after God's heart. It's amazing, isn't it, that when when God meets people, often he changes their name. But when God meets David, God changes his name. So Jesus becomes the son of David. That's extraordinary. That is wild that a man 
could have that level of relationship with God, that God is prepared to say, actually, I'll name my son after you. Think about that. That's wild. And in one generation, from, from the beginning of this story, Israel is the greatest that it has ever been. God can do an awful lot in one generation. He can turn things round quicker than we imagine. He can change your life quicker than you imagine. There's a lot of hope in that. I believe that a change is coming to our nation, and I'm not the only one. And I believe that God is looking for a generation like David who will represent something different. And I want us to be that generation. I want you to be that generation. I want the body of Christ in this city, in this nation, to represent something else, to be that David's generation. So... So what are the six things? I'm sure there might be more than six, but I've got six. What are the six things that David represents? Well, first of all, David represents a generation who lives without fear. That first verse, Lord says to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? Since I've rejected him from being king over Israel, fill your horn with oil and go. Samuel, even Samuel, this mighty prophet. I mean, Samuel is a scary man. If he walked into this room right now, I'd probably cower under this table behind Barney. There's that amazing verse um, where Samuel, you know, sometimes we think of kind of prophets. You know, I know this kind of old. Old Covenant, New Covenant thing. You get what I'm saying. Uh, use your brain. Uh, but, but, you know, in the Old Testament, there he is. You know, we think of prophets as kind of, you may be kind of airy-fairy, you know. Well, I do anyway. That's because I'm not one. But, uh, but you know, there's this amazing verse a few chapters before where Samuel draws his sword and hacks the king of Og to pieces in front. I mean, he's a scary man. He's a flipping, scary man. But yet even he is afraid. He's afraid of what Saul will do to him if he goes and does what God is telling him to do. God's people and God's prophets were living in fear. And God hates that. He hates his people coming under fear. And it's time for it to stop. You know, we can be afraid. One of the things, this is the great irony of it, one of the things that the church is most afraid of is God himself. It's tragic, but it's true. We're afraid to get too close to him. Because although we read the verses that say that Jesus paid for our sin... Sometimes I wonder if, if we've really experienced the reality of it. The point is this, that it's like, it's like 
the punishment for your sin and for the world's sin kind of filled up this cup. And then God, the Father, poured it out on Jesus on the cross. And now there's none left. There is, there's none left. There is nothing left. Something, something's going to dribble out now. There's nothing left in the cup. It's gone. Everything, all the punishment, every reason that you have to fear God, to, to worry about getting close to him, will he remind me of that thing that I didn't do or, or that thing that I should have done? Every reason that you can think of that would keep you from God was poured out on Jesus. And it doesn't, it's not there anymore. This is something that we need to embrace and keep on embracing. And it's something we need to tell people about. Because let me tell you, it's not in common currency. God is most often not seen like this. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's been poured out. God's looking for a generation who will live before him without fear. He's looking for a generation who will live... Well, listen, here's another one. We can be afraid of God. We can also be afraid of each other. You can be afraid of the church. Some of you might be afraid of the church, and with good reason. (laughs) You may have had some terrible experiences with leaders, with other people. You know, sometimes I hear stories from friends who aren't Christians, and they tell me about when they were kids going to church, and, you know, you kind of wince. We've all been there, haven't we? You know, you go to church, don't you? Well, let me tell you about church. (coughs) You kind of wince, thinking, surely that couldn't have happened. It did. And, And you can be, we can carry around wounds that can stop us really from connecting properly with each other, from loving each other properly. God's looking for a generation who will get past that. He's looking for a church who will really love one another. And we can be afraid. So we can be afraid of God. We can be afraid of the church. We can be afraid of the world. Afraid to be who we really are. That's why I love hanging around with people like Barney. A fearless man. Listen, John says this. There's no fear in love. His perfect love casts out fear. I want to pray for, fear, for love, a level of love that would cast out our fear. A level, can you imagine that? A level of love for the world that casts out your fear of the world. That you love the, this world, this dying world, it's all around us so much 
that all your fear of it is gone, that you love the church so much that all your fear of the church is cast out, that you love God so much that all your fear of him is gone, that you receive that love from the Father. God is looking for that kind of generation, ones who will live without fear. The second thing is he's looking for a generation who are focused on the heart. If love is the antidote to fear, then it stands to reason that he would be looking for a generation who are focused on the heart. God said to Samuel, don't look on appearance or on the height of his stature because I've rejected him for the Lord sees not as man sees. Lord, the man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Jesus is teaching on money, sex, the origin of sin in our lives. It all focuses on the heart. The miracle of coming to Jesus is that you get a new heart. He takes out your heart of stone and he gives you a heart of flesh. We need to be make, make sure that we are not a people that are focused on external things, external conformity. No, we don't, you know, we laugh at or poke fun at, you know, a couple of centuries ago where you needed to wear a certain thing or you needed to say a certain thing to be accepted, but Sometimes we can have the same focus just on different externals. We're not, we're not going to properly represent God in the world by focusing on clever marketing strategies primarily, on having great flyers, but on our heart connection to Him and with each other. We need to be people of the heart. We need to ache in our heart for him and for each other. We need to feel things deeply. Jesus said the greatest commandment was to love God with everything we had. And the, other, the second greatest was like it, to love our neighbors like ourselves. We need to be people of the heart. The third thing is this, that David represents a generation of the least likely, the least impressive, the passed over, and the forgotten. Um, At school, we teach a book called Animal Farm, which you may have read. There's a very famous quote in it which says this, all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. And I was reminded of this as I was preparing this, because it feels like, you know, some people are unlikely, but some of us are more unlikely than others. (laughs) But the truth is, we are all unlikely. We are all spectacularly unlikely. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many of noble birth. Anyone here of noble birth? 
Nah, I didn't think so. <laughs> but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you're in Christ Jesus, who has become to us the wisdom of, from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I want to say this to you. It is not too late for you or too early. Often when this kind of stuff is preached, and you can see why, because David's a young guy and he was out in the field. We kind of focus on the youngsters and we say things like, David Tregold, it's not too early for you. And that is true. It is not. But listen, there are also some of us who feel like we've kind of missed our chance. And it's not too late. A proper move of God will see generations coming together. Not one generation breaking away and saying, we're doing this thing without you. It is not too late for you. It is not too early. And if you think it is, listen, I'm encouraged for you because you will be powerful. Paul says this, that God spoke to him and said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So I'll boast in my weakness that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I am God's, God really reinforced this to me a few weeks ago, and I'm just reveling in this. It's a different, it's a different mindset when you start to boast in your weakness. When you start to just kind of give up trying to look good. You kind of just accept, actually, I am really crap at that kind of stuff. And I probably always will be. I probably always will need your help in this area. So listen, I'm going to stop pretending that that's not the case. I, won't, I, I am committed to having Christ's power rest upon me. I want his power. And Paul says, if you want it, boast in your weakness. Boast in your weakness. Acknowledge that you are not great. God loves it. He loves it. He can use that. It's not too late for you. It's not too early. David, amazingly, even when he came to the palace, even at the end of his life, he described himself as the son of Jesse. He stayed in his heart the least likely his whole life even when things look really good for him. He always maintained that place of, God, I can't believe you're using me. I mean, you could have used anyone else. He stayed as the least likely. We need to stay in that place of really in our hearts, not kind of say, yeah, well, I'm the least likely. 
But part of you thinking, but actually, I am pretty good at that thing. And that's probably why God's using me. <laughs> we really, seriously, we really seriously need to stay in that place of being amazed that God is using us. It is ridiculous that God is using us. It is absurd. It's scandalous. Embrace that. Embrace the fact that we are pretty rubbish. And that we need Him. We need Him. Fortunately, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are aware of their need, are the ones who are satisfied. The kingdom of God belongs to the people who are hungry, who know they've not got it all screwed down, who stay humble because they stay in that place of dependency. They stay in that place of thinking, God, if you don't show up, we are finished. We need you more than we need a projector. God's looking for a generation who will stay in that place. Fourthly, he's looking for a generation who will take the name beloved. That's what David means. It means beloved. There is incredible power in a name. That's why God changes people's names when he uh, comes in contact with them. So Abram becomes Abraham. Jacob becomes Israel. Jesus and Joshua are basically the same name, Yeshua, which means Yahweh is salvation. And both of them did a pretty good job of living up to their name. Names are a big deal. In my house right now, they're causing nothing but arguments. But they're a big deal. I wonder if you know what you're... I, I am... I'll tell you why they're a big deal. Because I'm looking for a name that means something. Not one that just sounds good. I'm looking for... Because, listen, it's, it's a profound thing, naming a child. Maybe one of the most profound things about your name is that somebody gave it to you. You didn't name yourself. You can't name yourself. It was given to you before you were even aware that you were alive. Your parents looked at you and named you. They gave you a name. And that says something profound about the nature of identity. That we don't make our identity for ourselves. You know, there's lots of, in our culture, people are often kind of deciding for them, saying, you know, I'm kind of, you know, deciding for myself the, the sort of person I want to be, as if they were totally free to do that. But the nature of identity is that you can't, you can't make it for yourself. It's actually, it's bestowed upon you by earthly parents, and ultimately by our Heavenly Father. That's why I'm particularly proud to be called Philip, the lover of horses. 
I just can't move on from that. The lover of horses. I mean, did they even look it up? <laughs> but you know, God, God spoke to me about this. He needed to. I was in real trouble. He spoke to me. My second, I have two middle names. But my, my first middle name, my second name, is David. And God, and God spoke to me about that. And he said that really that is how he knew me as David. And David means beloved. And uh, it's a big deal that God has a generation who know and who are comfortable taking on the name Beloved who are happy to to live their lives in the identity of being beloved of the Father. Who don't kind of squirm uncomfortably in their seats or come out with a kind of, you know, falsely humble platitude. But who can actually rest in the place of being beloved of the Father. We need to get increasingly comfortable with how much God loves us. We need to be able to live in that place. You are called beloved. You're called beloved. That is the name that God speaks over you. Names are personal They are intimate things. And your name is beloved. And when we get into that intimate place with the Father, that is what we hear. We hear him saying, you are my son, you are my daughter, and I'm well pleased with you. And if you're not hearing that, that makes me flipping mad. But if you're not hearing that, I want to pray with you at the end of today because that is the thing. Fifth, God is looking for a generation that he has provided for himself and without which the party cannot start. Verse 11, Samuel says to Jesse, send and get him, get David, for we will not sit down to the meal until he comes. It's interesting that Saul's presence in the nation stopped all the parties. And David's presence starts parties. Saul was the party pooper, if you will. David was a party starter. There is a party in this nation And it's waiting for you to start it. There's a party in this world and it's waiting for the sons of God. It's waiting eagerly. All of creation, Romans 8 tells us, is waiting eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For you. There's a party and only you can start it.
You do not need my permission to start the party that God's given you to start. You do not need me to say, this is the time, or this is the place, or this is the thing. This is the party for you to start. If you know what God has put on your heart, and you should do, because it's on your heart, then I want you to know that you can just do that. So let's say you are really passionate about asylum seekers. Please, God, that we have someone here who is. You do not need my permission for you to do act upon that passion. You do not need my permission for you to start that party in that section of the world. You can just do it. Because it's something that God has given you to do. This is not that kind of church. We want to, we will encourage and get behind you and cheer you on and offer any wisdom that we happen to have in the back of the drawer somewhere. But please do not look to the leadership in this church for permission to do what God has told you to do. God has told you to do it. Get on with it. There is a party that is waiting to be started. Start it. Just go out and start it. Just go out and do what God's got for you. And then come and tell us. We'll cheer you on and give you a big clap. You know, start that charity for kids. You know, set up that trust in your, for your area. Start that event in your village. Just do it. The party is waiting for you to start it. And of course, number six, he's looking for a generation that is anointed. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. He's looking for a people who are anointed. Who are in love with the Holy Spirit. That's it. What I wanted to do was um, just to kind of go through these and see if we can do some business on them this morning. Uh, The first one was this, the generation that lives without fear. Now, some of us are very afraid of all kinds of things, and I would love it if you could have that fear overwhelmed and wiped out by love this morning. So listen, just 
just where you are, if that is you, I want you just to open your heart. And we're all going to pray. So if you feel a sense of fear when you come before your Heavenly Father, if you feel yourself kind of retreating from Him, or you feel yourself burdened and bothered by mistakes of the past that just kind of seem to rise up in front of you, then just open your heart. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that you died to make a way for us to the Father. That you took every sin, every sin that we had ever committed, every possible hindrance that would keep us from your love. And you hung on the cross with it on your shoulders. Lord, it wasn't the nails that kept you on the cross. It was your love for us so that you could deal with all that hindered our relationship with you. Heavenly Father, I pray for a revelation of your love all across this room right now. I pray for fear to come off people in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray for those who are afraid of church, who are afraid of the intimate relationships that church brings, that they're afraid of of trusting leadership and just anyone because of what's happened to them, because of the wounds of the past. Lord Jesus, I break these things off in the name of Jesus. I declare a new day of love where love wins, where trust is possible, where deep, affectionate heart relationships can happen in the name of Jesus. This needs to be a new day. God, I pray for the evangelists among us who are just in fear. Lord Jesus, have mercy on us. We need them. We need them. We need them to help us. God, I pray you'd break the fear of man off them in Jesus' name, that the love that you have for this world would overwhelm their fear. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Okay. If you identified with the thought of being the least likely, then well done because that should be us all. But for some of you particularly, there'll be the sense of, it'll be associated with a sense of failure, maybe. A sense of not quite making it. A sense of missed 
a missed opportunity that weighs heavily. And actually, that's, that's not what God has for you. This is a new day. And we need you. The body of Christ needs you to come into your destiny, to come into who you are. So if that's you, then just open your heart. I want to pray for you too. Lord Jesus, I pray for those who think it's too late. And I pray for those who think it's too early. Father, I pray, I thank you that it's your anointing. I thank you that it's, it's your leading. It's not what others think of us. It's not what others have said to us. God, the judgment of church leaders is not, does not get the final say. You get the final say. And I pray, Lord, for a sense of destiny and hope to return all across this room, where it's been lost, where the enemy has stolen. Jesus, I thank you that you love to restore what the enemy steals. I pray that you would restore hope and faith for the future. In Jesus' name, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. And last of all, and I wonder if Steve could just come up so we can worship off the back of this. This thing about being beloved. This is the main thing. And what I'm finding is that um, just when I think I know that he loves me, I discover that he loves me a bit more. And that he doesn't allow me just to settle. And I believe that that's what he he's looking for. He's looking for a people who will stay in that place of ongoing revelation on his love. Because everything that we do is going to come out of this place. Everything. I know that we could, I know that we could be doing more. But we will do more. But we'll do more from this place. All the great things that I am amazed by that God's doing in the world just now, if you look into them, you find at the root a person who has been overwhelmed by the love of God, and that's how it started. And I am really excited about the parties that the people in this room are going to start because we said the most important thing is to know that we're loved. The most important thing is to overflow with that love.
So I want us to stand. We're going to worship. Lord Jesus, I want to pray for each one of us in this room. I want to pray for myself. Lord, I never want to move on from this. Lord, I want to open my heart that you would love, I would experience your love in a deeper way, that I would understand and comprehend your love for me in a more powerful way, that I would have a greater intimacy with you than I'd ever experienced. Lord, I, I declare over everyone in this room that they are beloved of the Father, that they have a new name from you, from heaven, that is beloved. That you are for them and not against them. That you are kind and good and that your heart is tender. Come Holy Spirit. Do a great work among us. Come Lord Jesus.